Exodus 7. I'm going to read the chapter. Exodus 7. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his, out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up the rods, their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the riverbank and meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness, but indeed until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, and over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. 
Father, we ask that you would, by your grace and by your mercy, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal your gospel to us through the pages, through the words of your scripture. Lord, reveal Christ to us and make known to us, Lord, the mystery of faith, the mystery of godliness, and the power of your gospel to change us and transform us. Lord, to renew our minds and to conform us to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a lot here, and in chapter 7 of Exodus, we see the first of ten plagues that God is going to bring upon Egypt. I'm going to really concentrate on the first seven verses uh, of this chapter, but I want to draw your attention to some things before we get into this. Uh, first, First of all, as we go through these judgments, you're going to see that God is very systematic in the way that he reveals himself to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, and to the children of, of Israel. And God is making himself known. And remember last week we talked about this reality that when we left chapter 5, we see that Pharaoh asked this question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And at the end of chapter 5, Moses asks the question, when he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh doesn't respond in the way that Moses had hoped, and things get worse instead of getting better, have you ever been there? You think God is moving, God is working, and just when you think things are fixing to get better, they actually get worse. And when that happens, what's the first thing we do? We ask the question, why? And that's what Moses did. Things didn't get better, they got worse. And Moses says, God, why have you brought this trouble upon your people? And why have you sent me? In other words, if, 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 if this is going to go the opposite direction, then, then why are you sending me? Yet we see that God warned Moses. God told Moses exactly what was going to happen. God has done the same for us. We've got the scripture here that records for us the creation all the way to the return of Jesus. We are not left wondering what's going to happen. God has revealed exactly what's going to happen. Now, I didn't say God in minute detail has revealed to you every detail of your life and has given you every reason why he works the way he does in and around your life. But God has not left us wondering about what's ultimately going to happen. Jesus has won. He's defeated the enemy. We're still in a war, but the outcome of that war has already been determined. We are victorious. We don't have to wonder whether Jesus is going to win in the end or not. He, he's already won. The work's already been finished. And so we read about Moses and we read where Moses goes to Pharaoh and he doesn't get the response that he wants and then Moses is questioning God, why? And we think, how, how could Moses do that? God told him. Or we look at the children of Israel, we're going to see them go from Egypt into the wilderness and God do all these signs and wonders. And yet they want to go back to Egypt because they can't, figure out how they're going to be provided for in this wilderness. And we read that and we say, man, if I'd have been there and seen God do all of those things, I wouldn't be questioning God. Oh yeah, you would, just like I would too. 
Because that's our human nature. That's our sin nature. And we constantly are forgetting. And here we are. We have been given the Scripture. Jesus has already come. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He said, from the cross, it is finished. Paul writes and says, Jesus triumphed over the enemy at the cross and made an open, humiliating show of them and triumphed over them and had this victory parade in the heavenlies. And He's going to come back one day and we will see Him face to face and He will rule and reign on this earth. And the Bible says we will rule and reign with Him. Yet, we're no different than Moses or the children of Israel. We still ask God why. And so God is very systematic in what He's doing here. God is revealing Himself. And remember, God, instead of answering the question of Moses, when Moses said, why God? What God did was say, I am the Lord. Here's the answer to your question, Moses. I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, I am the Lord. Tell the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Moses, I want to remind you, I am the Lord. And we see this is what God is doing. God is revealing himself for who he is. Not just to Moses, not just to the children of Israel, but to Egypt and to all the world. And this is what God has always done. God has revealed himself all around us. And so, for instance, Pharaoh was considered a god. God complex isn't something that just someone discovered. Man has had the God complex since the beginning. This is what Adam did. He decided that he would make himself God and make his own decision and make his own way. Pharaoh has this God complex. He'd go out to the river to relieve himself because it's said that because he was a God, he didn't have to function the same way mortal men did. And what you see is that God is exposing Pharaoh's humanity and mortality not just to pharaoh if he was that delusion but to all of egypt that there is no power apart from the power who is the lord that we can do nothing and we have nothing apart from him and so in the beginning of this chapter, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Man is not God. Regardless of what Pharaoh might have thought, Pharaoh may have thought he was God, just as Caesar declared himself to be God in Jesus' day. Man is not God. We may not declare ourselves to be God, but man very often acts as though and lives as though he is God. We take much upon ourselves that does not belong to us, but belongs to God. Man is not God, though God became a man in Jesus Christ. Man is created in the image of God, and God has chosen man as the vessel through which his gospel will be made known. When God says to Moses, you shall be as God to Pharaoh, God wasn't telling Moses, I'm going to make you a divine being. 
any more than we are divine beings, though Peter says that in Christ we become partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean we become God, but what we do need to understand from Paul's writing in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. We're not gods, but we have become partakers of God's life in Jesus Christ. We have been brought into union with God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son in Jesus Christ. That is a gift of grace that God has given to us to all who are in Christ. God chose man to be the vessel that would make known his gospel in the earth. God chose man to represent him as in the earth. Man is the only creature of God's creation that it is said was created in the image of God. When God told Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply and fill the earth, what God was really telling them is that I am going to fill the earth with the very image of myself. And so God gives to man this privilege to represent him in the earth. We represent God to this world and we are to make him known accurately in word and in deed so god says to moses he says you are going to be as god to pharaoh and aaron your brother shall be your prophet you shall speak all that i command you and aaron your brother shall tell pharaoh to send the children of israel out of his land you shall speak all that i command you we are to speak as the oracles of god and minister with the ability with which God supplies. That's what Peter writes. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Peter writes this, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Or another way to understand that is, let him speak as the utterance of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. What is the point of Peter telling us as the church that when we speak, we are to speak as the oracles or as the utterance of God? Well, the point is that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. We can't forget that. God's not giving you a blank check and saying, anything you say, you can say it in my name and declare it in my name and get it in my name. That's not what God is saying. How is it that we will know what to speak? How are you going to know what to speak when you go out and you speak as the oracles of God? I'm holding the clue in my hand. How are you going to know what to speak? God has given us his word, the scripture. You're going to know what to speak because God has given it to you. So as you read this book, as you read the scripture, as you meditate on the scripture, as you pray the scripture, as you study the scripture, God is revealing himself to you through his holy, inspired word. <clears throat> 
And as you, as David said, my word, your word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So as you hide God's word in your heart, those words are going to come from where? From your heart. So Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart is going to come out. If you've lived long enough and you've been around people long enough, you have already figured out that if you'll listen to someone long enough, what's really in their heart's going to come out. Now, people can say all kinds of things to, to try to make you believe something, but, but this, is, this is a spiritual principle. It's true. What ultimately is in a person's heart is going to come out of their heart. So what should we be diligent to do? We should be diligent to put God's word in our heart. We should be diligent to hide God's word in our heart, to fill our hearts with his word so that what? So that his word comes out of us. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If faith is in my heart, what's going to ultimately come out? Faith is going to ultimately come out. Now that doesn't mean you'll never have a doubt. That doesn't mean you'll never be fearful. It doesn't mean you won't ever have questions or you won't ever wonder. That's, that's not the point. That's not faith. Faith doesn't mean that you never question or you never doubt. We all have those moments, but faith means I don't live in doubt. I don't live with a question that is hindering me from trusting God, from believing God, from serving God, for, from glorifying God in my life. And so Peter says, when you speak, speak as the oracles of God. God commanded Moses, he said, what? You shall speak all that I command you. Or Jesus said it this way to his disciples before he ascended to the Father. Go therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. That's recorded for us in Mark's gospel. Matthew's gospel records Jesus saying, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have taught you, all that I have shown you and revealed to you. This is our commission to go and to speak as the oracles of God, to minister with the ability which God supplies. Remember, Moses was fearful. God, I can't talk good. I've got a speech impediment. I stutter. No one's going to listen to me. And what God was constantly reminding Moses is, Moses, it's not going to be because of you that Pharaoh is going to let the children of Israel go. It's going to be because of me. You're not going in your power. You're going in my power. When we speak as the utterance of God, as the oracles of God, when we minister, we minister with the ability that he supplies to us. So we don't put our faith in ourselves; We put our faith in God. In verse 3, God reminds Moses again, you're going to speak what I command you. Aaron is going to tell him to let the children go, but Pharaoh is not going to listen. Verse 3, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. There's a lot of people that try to do all kinds of twists and turns with, with this declaration by God, but it is what it is. 
Don't try to find something that's not there. Don't try to read into that more than is there or less than is there. It's a very simple statement. Pharaoh, I will harden. Moses, God tells Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God hardened his heart. Now, what do we need to understand? We can hear that and we can jump to an assumption. We can hear what God says. We can read this. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And we can assume that Pharaoh's heart was not hard until God hardens it. Wrong assumption. Pharaoh's heart was hard already. What was the condition of your heart and my heart when we were born in our first birth? It was hard. This is what the Bible teaches. Every man, every woman, every human being born of the flesh is born with what kind of heart? A hard heart. When we understand this, we understand why Jesus said in John 3, 3, you truly, truly, you must be born again. In our first birth of the flesh, we're born with a hard heart. In our new birth of the Spirit, what kind of heart does God give us? A heart of flesh, or a soft heart, or a heart that loves Him, a heart that trusts Him. So when God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, what we need to understand is God is hardening an already hard heart. And what we need to understand is that unless God gives us new hearts, we all have hard hearts. It means that the only way our already hard hearts stop being hard is by receiving a new heart given to us by the grace of God. The words and deeds of God are all around us. They're either hardening our already hard hearts or they are working by His grace to prepare us for new hearts that love Him and trust Him. Paul writes in in his letter to the Romans that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. That may sound like a contradictory statement to you, but it's not. You all are sitting on nice padded chairs. Does anyone see the person that made those chairs? Anybody here make these chairs? If you made these chairs, raise your hand. They're invisible to us. But the reality that somebody made these chairs you're sitting on is not invisible to us, is it? This nice aluminum pulpit podium Think it just accidentally happened? Anybody here make it? The maker of this pulpit's invisible to us. But the reality that it was made by someone is clearly seen. We don't have a problem believing that when we talk about chairs and podium. But for some reason, when man looks out at the wonders and the glories of creation... And we see what the Hubble telescope, just the minute amount of the universe that it can reveal to us, and we see all this 
glory and we say, man, we thought the universe was just this big mess, but what we're discovering is that it's all ordered. Isn't that amazing? A big bang did all of that. <laughs> really? See, God didn't have to come to Egypt and, and do signs and wonders for Pharaoh to know that he was there. God was already there. But Pharaoh is like all of us. Our hearts are hard. Our eyes are blind. Our ears are deaf. We are dead in our sin until God raises us up and gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to love him. He is clearly seen all around us. It, it seems ridiculous to think that man can't discern that there's a creator, yet man can't discern there's a creator. But the reality of the creator is all around us. It's clearly seen. And this is why the Bible says that man will be without excuse. Pharaoh did not grudgingly resist God. He willfully resisted God. Every time his heart became harder, it became harder willingly. Every time he'd have his magicians mimic what Moses and Aaron did through God's power, it just affirmed, I'm just as much a God as Moses' God. I can do the same thing that their God can do. Why should I bow? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? This is the condition of a sin-hardened heart. It is by the grace of God that we receive new hearts that are able to love and worship and trust Him. Verse 4, God tells Moses again, but Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my enemies, my armies, and my people by great judgments. He will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my armies and my people. Could God had broken Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will and given him a heart to believe? You better believe God could have. But God let Pharaoh have what Pharaoh wanted. And he used it the Scripture teaches us to bring out His people by great judgments. The judgments of God are always full of justice and grace. And when we go through these chapters in Exodus, we're going to see these judgments, these great judgments brought on Egypt, and they were brought justly. And the great judgments God used to bring His just wrath upon Egypt were also used to bring about Israel's deliverance. So God's judgments work for both justice and grace in the way God administers those judgments. The same judgment that brought wrath to Egypt is a judgment that brought deliverance for Israel. And this is how we are to discern and understand the world we live in. We see hard things every day. We question, God, how? God, why? 
And God very often does not answer those questions, but what he has consistently done is reveal to us who he is. He is the Lord. And we know this because God has given us the record of it, that his judgments are just. And his judgments not only bring about his wrath justly administered, but they also bring about his grace mercifully given to his children who do not deserve it. Verse 5 says, And the Egyptians, not just Pharaoh, but all the Egyptians, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. God's hand is evident for those who have eyes to see and hearts to believe. God did not have to multiply his signs and wonders for Egypt to see him or know him. Even their history, why are we even talking about Pharaoh and, and, and the children of Israel? Remember, you go back and you see in Genesis where Jacob had 12 sons and one of those sons was almost murdered by his brothers, but at the last moment they decided to sell him into slavery instead. So they're his blood wouldn't be on their hands. And unbeknownst to them, they sell this little 17-year-old boy that they hate, their brother that they despise, to these slave traders. And somehow, miraculously, Joseph ends up in Egypt. And even more miraculously, Joseph ends up second in command and ends up not only saving Egypt, but saving his father and his brothers in all of the world of that region from a famine that God brought in order to raise up a man, in order to reveal His grace and His mercy and His salvation, so that Joseph, the despised brother, 15 years later could say to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph couldn't see the good when he was in that pit waiting to find out whether he was going to be murdered or not. Joseph couldn't see the good when he was carried away by those slave traders, sold into slavery. He couldn't see the good when he was ripped from the house of Potiphar and put back in the dungeon, unjustly accused. He had been faithful to not violate his master's wife, and yet what did his faithfulness get him? It got him thrown in the dungeon again. But it was in the dungeon that he met the the guys that he interpreted their dreams, and it was the interpretation of those dreams that enabled them to call him out of the dungeon to stand before Pharaoh, and that exalted him to this place of second in command. And now here we are, 400 years later, and the children of Israel have multiplied into a multitude of people, of peoples and armies and God. In those 400 years, most of them as slaves, God now has uh, has grown up an army and a people, and now he's ready to bring them out of Egypt and take them back into the land of promise that he had promised to Abraham in the very beginning. That happened over generations. We want God to work in minutes, in hours, at the most days. God forbid it should take weeks or months or years. But we understand that this is how God works. He doesn't work in minutes or Moments he works over generations. 
And we are part of that. So when we can't see how God's plan is working out, don't fear. We know exactly how it's going to work out. It's going to work out for good and for glory, whether we can see it or not, whether we can discern it or not, because that's who God is. That's what he has revealed to us. This is the evidence of God's hand that we need to see and we need to trust in. In one way or another, man will come to know that he is the Lord. We will all know, either in God's wrath or in God's grace, that he is the Lord. Philippians 2, 9 and 11 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given to him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee and every tongue of both the righteous and the wicked will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No Man will be innocent before him apart from the grace that is given to us in Jesus Christ. The wrath of God will be justly administered just as the grace of God is mercifully administered to all who are in Christ. By wrath or by grace, all will know that he is the Lord who has brought his children out of sin and death to glory in him. We will see through the judgments upon Egypt that God will leave no question that He is the Lord over all creation. He is Lord of all in heaven and on earth. I want to take you down to verse 7. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. How many of you, when you're 80 or 83, are going to be in a position to be used by God that way. Say, man, I just hope I'm still upright at 80 or 83, right? God is never limited by human age or human experience or human ability. God will accomplish His will through any person at any time in any way that He chooses. We should never assume that God cannot or will not use us according to his will. Don't assume that. We must stop using our self-imposed limitations as excuses to resist God's will. This is what Moses did. God can't talk right, can't use me. God, I'm too old. God, I'm too this. God, I'm too that. Giving God all the reasons why he's not the right man for the job. And it's not just Moses. We find ourselves doing this constantly. But here's what we need to understand. We are to never have faith in our own self, but our faith is in God who is greater than ourself. And if we will trust God, we will see God do amazing things. Here we are, just a small church in an obscure neighborhood, in an obscure city. And for some reason, I've got a group of partners that represent social service agencies that work all over Central Texas that want to build a multi-million dollar complex on our land. Now, yes, we offered the land. 
for free. We're not giving them the land, but we're giving them use of the land. And at the end of that lease, we get the buildings. I don't know. I'll be 86 when that lease is up. I may be here. I may not be. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Here's what I do know. My children will be here. My grandchildren will be here. Your children will be here. Your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will be here. Because what we're doing right now in Taylor, Texas is not for the moment. It's for eternity. It's for the generations. If we'll make ourselves stepping stones that the next generations can use to go further in God, to build the kingdom in ways that we can't even imagine right now. And if we'll be faithful to give the little things that we have, we say we're not rich. We struggle just to pay our our bills every month. We can't even pay but yet God has been faithful. And just when we think, we never know when God's going to do something that's going to just blow our mind. We might experience failure. It might look hopeless. Hey, we want to give you this school. Here's the date. We're going to sign the papers. Four years later, they sell it to a for-profit company. We could have gotten discouraged and said, oh, gosh, you know, God kind of let me down there. I'm just not going to trust you anymore. He said, no, you know what? God's got a reason for all this. I don't know what it is. Why did we buy that land to never build on? I don't know. God, God gave it to us. Why did they offer us that school if we were never going to build there? Well, I don't know. Oh, well, now I can see it. Established relationships with all these partners that would have never been established before. Why did God choose Christ Fellowship's land? Why did he hook the pastor of this church up with those partners? I don't know. But here's what I do know. If you will be and I will be faithful in the little things that we do, and we're not trying to build our kingdoms and our empires, but we're working for the glory of God because we serve the Lord. Listen to this scripture. It's so glorious. Paul writes this, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And Paul is echoing what the writer, what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes verse 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 10, when, when, when Solomon wrote this, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Let me translate that for you. You only live once on this earth. This is our time of visitation. This is your time of visitation. What you're going to do, do it now. What you're going to do for God, do it now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't limit yourself because you see your own limitations. Because you see what you can't do. You see what you don't have. Listen, God's not limited by those things because God can do anything and God owns everything. And if God wants to use you, he'll use you. If he wants to use Little Christ Fellowship to bless Eastern Williamson County and the counties all around us, he'll do that just because he wants to. The question is, are we going to be a people that say, okay, God, we trust you. Don't see how this is going to work out, but we trust you're going to work the details out. You're going to provide what needs to be provided because this is not about us. This is about you. This is what God consistently told Moses. Moses, this isn't about you. 
Stop worrying about you. This isn't about you. This is about me. This isn't about your perception, your glory. This is about my glory. And I'll take care of my glory. You just be a willing vessel. You just be obedient. Go do what I've told you to do. I'll take care of the rest of it. We have that all throughout Scripture. Yet in our humanness, we want to take things that we shouldn't be taking. We want to take responsibilities that really aren't ours to take. We want to take burdens that aren't ours to carry. We want to embrace limitations that we just need to give to God and say, God, this is your show. This is your church. This is your kingdom. This, this is you. This is for you. Use me for your glory however you choose to. Live until you die, church, and live gloriously and live with all your heart and live for his glory. It's an amazing thing God has made us a part of. In all things, in all things, we should seek to exert maximum effort and maximum faith and maximum service to Christ our Lord. I want to invite you to come to the table. Every week we come to this table because every week we need to be reminded of what God has done for us. And we need to be reminded of what God has done for us because we so want to think that we are limited by what we can do for ourselves. And this table reminds us that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. God did the work we could not do. He paid the debt we could not pay. He's prepared the feast. He has set the table. He made a glorious way for us to come to Him. He has done the work that we could not do so that we can enter into His rest that we could never achieve in ourselves. He invites us to His table so that we will have a constant reminder of His grace that He has provided for us in His Son. I want to invite you, church, to trust Jesus and in your trust, come to this table. As we have proclaimed the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, we proclaim His finished work. We proclaim His return. Which means we proclaim the ongoing work of the kingdom. And I charge you to do heartily with your might whatever your hands find to do to do all as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward, for you serve the Lord Christ. I charge you to not limit yourself and so assume that God is limited, but to walk by faith and not by sight, to know that He is the Lord. Know that His judgments are just, Know that your heart was once hard and that your mind must be renewed to the reality of a new heart. Know his command and obey it. Know that you represent him in the earth. And I charge you to represent him accurately and heartily in all things. And to trust in his grace when we will surely fail. I charge you to seek His glory for your good. That His name would be known and magnified 
in us and through us and all around us. In Jesus' name. The grace and the peace of the Lord be with you. Go in His power. Proclaim His name.